Good evening, and welcome to Theater in the Dark's A Christmas Carol. In the Dark. We hope you've compounded some hot mixture in a jug with gin and lemons and stirred it round and round and taken it off the hob from Simmer. We hope you're listening on your best set of headphones or speakers and that you've created a cozy, dark space to turn your eyes off for a while. And turn your imagination on. If we experience any technical difficulties from our side, we are dealing with the internet after all. And we are live. Broadcasting right now in the present from our home studios in Chicago, Vancouver, and Philadelphia. We'll resume the performance as soon as we're able. This story might take place in the past, but we're telling it to you now, at the turn of the calendar. The town might be London, or it might be New York, or it could be Philadelphia, to be more specific, Reading. It could be Chicago in the heart of the city, or it could be Chicago right at the border of Indiana. It could be Vancouver, it could be Kelowna, it could be Saskatoon, it could be any town you've ever lived in. And these could be any people you've ever met. They may be named Mrs. Cratchit, Belle, or Scrooge, but they could just as easily be Kathleen, Sarah, Mac, or you, Otto, Sandy, Elizabeth. Now, now, let's save the pointedness for the one we've been charged to speak about. To speak toward. To speak into. But before we start, we ask you to take a minute to recognize just where you are. On the traditional and unceded territory of the Lenny Lenape, Muncie Lenape, and Susquehannock in Philadelphia. Of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations in Vancouver. And the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi nations, in addition to the Miami, Peoria, and Kickapoo tribes in Chicago. Now, crank up your speakers, look away from your screen, and have a mug of mulled wine or ginger punch ready to your hand to toast the holiday in gentle but steely perseverance over the year that's been. Ready? Yep. Let's do it. It came upon a midnight clear that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their hearts of gold. (laughs) (laughs) Marley was dead to begin with. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Mind. I don't mean to say that I know what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge was his sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. Listeners, this must be distinctly understood. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood on the sign years afterward above the warehouse door. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes Marley. But he answers to both names. It was all the same to him. Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks. A frosty rime was on his head, and on his eyebrows, and his wiry chin. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say with gladsome looks, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. Alms for the poor. No children asked him what it was o'clock. The time, sir? The time? Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming would tug their owners into doorways and up courts. And then would wag their tails as though they said, No eye at all is better than an evil eye. But what do I care? It is the very thing I like. To edge his way along the crowded paths of life. Warning all human sympathy. To keep its distance. (sighs) 
Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. The city clocks had only just gone three. It was quite dark already. The fog was dense. The houses opposite were mere phantoms. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open, that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who, in a dismal little cell beyond, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew. (coughs) Said Scrooge. Humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle? Well, you don't mean that, I am sure. I do. Merry Christmas? What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. And what right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. (coughs) Again, and followed it up with... Humbug! Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas! Out upon Merry Christmas! What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stick of holly through his heart. Uncle! Nephew... Ah, keep Christmas in your own way. Let me keep it in mine. But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good has it ever done you. Well, there are many things from which I might have derived good by which I have not profited. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas as a good time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave, and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good, and will do me good, and I say, God bless it. The clerk in the tank involuntarily applauded. Let me hear another sound from you, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation! You're quite a powerful speaker, sir. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love? Good afternoon. Nay, Uncle, but you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel to which I have been a party, but I have made the trial an homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas, Fred. There's another fellow, my clerk. With fifteen shillings a week and a wife and family, talking about a merry Christmas. (laughs) I'll retire to Bedlam. This lunatic in letting Scrooge's nephew out had let another person in. They were portly, pleasant to behold, and now stood with their hat off in Scrooge's office. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. He died seven years ago this very night. Oh, um, at this festive season of the year, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provisions for the poor and destitute. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons? Uh, plenty of prisons. And the Union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are still. I wish I could say they were not. I was afraid, from what you said at first, that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone, since you asked me what I wish. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I hope to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there. Many would rather die. If they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Good afternoon, sir. 
Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened. Foggier yet, and colder. Piercing, searching, biting cold. The owner of one scant young nose, gnawed and mumbled by the hungry cold, as bones are gnawed by dogs, stops down at Scrooge's door to regale him with a Christmas carol. But at the first sound... Ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. <laughs> Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror. Good afternoon! You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose? If convenient, sir. It's not convenient. And it's not fair. The clerk smiled faintly. You don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work? The clerk observed that was only once a year. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Scrooge buttoned his great coat to the chin. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next morning. The clerk promised he would. And Scrooge walked out with a growl. And the office was closed in a twinkling. And the clerk, with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no overcoat, went down a slide on the corn hill at the end of a lane of boys twenty times, in honor of its being Christmas Eve, and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play at Blind Man's Bluff in the yard with his own children. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having beguiled away the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, had to grope with his hands. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door. Except that it was very large. Except that it was very large. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley. Not since the last mention of his seven years dead partner that afternoon. And let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker without its undergoing any intermediate process of change. Not a knocker. But Marley's face. Like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. He did pause, with a moment's irresolution, before he shut the door. And he did look cautiously behind it. But there was nothing, so he said, and closed it with a bang. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes. He walked across the hall and up the stairs in the pitch black dark. Darkness is cheap. And Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see all was right. He had just enough recollection of the face to do that. Sitting room? Bedroom? Lumber room? All as they should be. Nobody under the table. Nobody under the sofa. A small fire in the grate. Spoon in basin ready. A little saucepan of gruel upon the hob. Nobody under the bed. Nobody in the closet. Nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Just like that one in your room, there by the closet. Or isn't that a dressing gown? Quite satisfied, he closed his door, then locked himself in. Double locked himself in. Which was not his custom. And sat down before the fire to take his gruel. It was a very low fire indeed. (sighs) As he threw his head back in the chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell. A disused bell that hung in the room. And it was with great astonishment 
and with a strange, inexplicable dread that as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. And soon, it rang. And so did every bell in the house. Ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. Scrooge's colors changed when, without a pause, it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room. Scrooge had often heard it said that Marley had no bowels. But he had never believed it until now. Oh no. What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you... Can you sit down? I can. Do it then. You don't believe in me. I don't. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. (gasps) But how much greater was his horror when the phantom taking off the bandage round its head as if it were too warm to wear indoors, its lower jaw dropped down upon its breast. Mercy! A dreadful apparition, why do you trouble me? Do you you believe believe in me or or not? I do. I do. I must. But why do spirits walk the earth and why do they come to me? I am doomed to wander through the world. And witness what I cannot share. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight? And length of the strong, the strong coil bears yourself. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to, to give. I, I cannot, cannot rest. rest. At this, this time, time of the rolling year, year, I suffer, suffer most. most. Why did I walk, did I walk through crowds, crowds of fellow, fellow beings, beings with my eyes turned down? Hear me. My, my time is nearly gone. I will. Uh, but don't be hard upon me. Uh, don't be flowery, Jacob. How, How it is that I, that I appear before you in a shape that you can see, I may not tell. I may not tell. I have sat, sat invisible, invisible beside you many, 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 I am here tonight tonight to warn you. you. You are always a good friend to me. You will be haunted haunted by by spirits. I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow. Expect the first tomorrow. When the bell tolls one. When the bell tolls one. When it had said these words, the specter took its wrapper from the table and bound it round its head as before. When the jaws were brought together by the bandage, the teeth clacked. (laughs) Marley, after listening for a moment, joined in with the groans. Scrooge went straight to bed without undressing and fell asleep upon the instant. 
When he awoke, it was dark. He listened for the hour. That a dream or not? Considering that he could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, Scrooge resolved to lie awake until the hour passed. The ghost had warned him of a visitation when the bell tolled one. The quarter was so long that he was more than convinced he must have sunk into a doze unconsciously and missed the clock. At length, it broke upon his listening ear. Hour itself, said Scrooge triumphantly. And nothing else. Closer to it than I am now to you, Scrooge's bedsheets were whisked away. <gasps> and he caught the sight of an unearthly visitor. It was a strange figure. Like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. It held a branch in its hand, and its dress was trimmed with summer flowers, fragrant as the garden. But the strangest thing about it was that the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with twenty legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, now a body without a head. We get the point. <laughs> and in the very wonder of this, it would be itself again, distinct and clear as ever. Who? And what are you? <laughs> I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. What business brings you here? Your welfare. A night of unbroken rest would have been more conducive to that end. Your reclamation, then. Quickly, rise, walk with me. The grasp, though gentle as a woman's hand, was not to be resisted. He rose, but found that the spirit made towards the window. Why immortal and liable to fall? Bear but a touch of my hand there, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The city had entirely vanished. Not a vestige of it was to be seen. It was a clear, cold winter day, with snow upon the ground. Good heaven, I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. Your lip is trembling. You recollect the way. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate, until a little market town appeared in the distance, with its bridge, its church, and winding river. These are but shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. The school is not quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. At one solemn desk, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire. And Scrooge sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he used to be. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading. I wish... Uh, but it's too late now. What's the matter? There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. to have given him something, that's all. Let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, and the room became a little darker and more dirty. The panel shrunk, the windows cracked, fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling. But how this was all brought about, Scrooge knew no more than you do. He only knew that it was quite correct, that here he was, alone again. When all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost, and with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously towards the door. Dear, dear brother, <laughs> I have come to bring you home, dear brother, to bring you home, home, home. Home, little fan? Asked this younger version of Scrooge himself. Yes. Father is so much kinder than he used to be. He spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should. Always a delicate creature. 
whom a breath might have withered, but she had a large heart. She died a woman and had, as I think, children. One child. Your nephew. Yes. Although they had that moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city, where shadowy passengers passed, where shadowy carts and coaches battled for the way with all the strife and tumult of a real city. It was plain enough by the dressing of the shops that here, too, it was Christmas time again. But it was evening and the streets were lighted up. Do you know this door? Oh, it. I was apprenticed here. Why? It's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig alive again! Into Fezziwig's room came a man with a music book and went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it. And tuned like 50 stomach aches. In came Mrs. Fezziwig. One vast, substantial smile. In came three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. In came six young followers whose hearts they broke. In came the housemaid with her cousin, the baker. In came the cook with her brother's particular friend, the milkman. In they all came, one after another. Some shyly. Some boldly. Some gracefully. Some awkwardly. Some pushing. Some pulling. In they all came anyhow and everyhow. And when this result was brought about, old Fuzzywick, clapping his hands to stop the dance, cried out, Well done! <laughs> and the musician plunged his hot face into a pot of porter especially provided for that purpose. And there was dances and cake, and there was a great piece of cold roast. And there were mince pies. And plenty of beer. But the great effect of the evening came when the musician... An artful dog, mind. The sort of man who knew his business better than you, or you, or you could have told him. Struck up Sir Roger de Coverley. Then old Fezziwig stood out to dance with Mrs. Fezziwig. Oh, my dear, will you dance? A top couple, too. I will indeed. With a good stiff piece of work cut out for them. Oh, nice <laughs> moves, dear. <laughs> she was worthy to be his partner in every sense of the term. All right, here we go. I'm going to dip you. <laughs> if that's not high praise, tell me higher and I'll use it. At the end of the night, Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, and shaking hands with every person wished them a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas! It was not until now that Scrooge remembered the ghost and became conscious that it was looking full upon him. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? Is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? My time grows short. This was not addressed to Scrooge or to anyone, but it produced an immediate effect. Again, Scrooge saw himself. He was older now. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years. But it had begun to wear the signs of avarice. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a mourning dress in whose eyes there were tears, which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little, to you very little, another idol has displaced me. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world. You fear the world too much. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. What then? Even if I have grown so much the wiser, what then? I am not changed towards you, am I? Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly I have thought of this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it and can release you. Have I ever sought release? In words, no, but... In what, then? In a changed nature. In an altered spirit. If this had never been between us, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? You think not. I would gladly think otherwise. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, 
Can even I believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? No, I do not. And I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. Spirit, show me no more. You may have pain in this. A very, very brief time. The memory of what is past half makes me hope you will. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. She left him, and they parted. Why do you delight to torture me? I told you these were shadows of the things that have been. Remove me from this place. They are what they are. I cannot bear it. Do not blame me. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. Awaking in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore. <coughs> and sitting up in bed to get his thoughts together, Scrooge did not need to be told that the bell was again upon the stroke of one. At this time, a blaze of ruddy light streamed upon him. He got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called him by his name and bade him enter. Ebenezer! He obeyed. That's his own room. There was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove, from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. Heaped upon the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. Yum, yum, yum! In easy state upon this couch there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch, in shape not unlike Plenty's sword, and held it up high, high up to shed its light on Scrooge. As he came peeping round the door. Come in, come in to know me better, man. Though the spirit's eyes were clear and kind, Scrooge did not like to meet them. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. Its feet were bare. And it was clothed in one simple green robe bordered with white fur. You have never seen the like of me before. Never. Never never walked forth with the younger members of my family? I don't think I have. I'm afraid I have not. Have you many siblings, spirit? <laughs> More than 1,800. Oh, a tremendous family to provide for. Spirit, conduct me where you will. Touch my robe. Holly, mistletoe, red berries, ivy, turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, meat, sucking pigs, sausages, oysters, mince pies, plums, puddings, chestnuts, apples, oranges, pears, twelfth cakes, and punch all vanished instantly. So did the room, the fire, the ruddy glow, the hour of night. And they stood in the city streets on Christmas morning. The people shoveling away were jovial and full of glee. Now and then exchanging a facetious snowball. <laughs> Why, you! The grocers! <laughs> the grocers! Oh, the grocers! Customers hurried in eager, hopeful promise of the day, crashing their wicker baskets wildly, leaving their purchases upon the counter, and then coming back running to fetch them again. In the best humor possible. The sight of these poor revelers appeared to interest the spirit very much. For it stood with Scrooge beside him in the baker's doorway, and taking off the covers as their bearers passed, sprinkled incense on their dinners from its torch. And it was a very uncommon kind of torch. Or for once or twice, when there were angry words between some dinner carriers, it shed a few drops of water on them from it. And their good humor was restored directly, for they said, It is a shame to quarrel on Christmas Day. And so it is. God love it, so it is. Is there a peculiar flavor in what you sprinkle from your torch? There is. My own. 
would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? To any kindly given. To a poor one most. Why? Because it needs it most. There are some upon this earth of yours who lay claim to know us, and who do their deeds of selfishness in our name. Remember that and charge the doing on yourselves, not on us. It was a remarkable quality of the ghost. Now, notwithstanding its gigantic size, it could accommodate itself to any place with ease. And perhaps it was the pleasure the good spirit had in showing off this power, or else it was their sympathy with all poor men that led them straight to Scrooge's clerks. On the threshold of the door, the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with a sprinkling of the torch. Think of that. Bob had but 15 bob a week himself, and yet the ghost of Christmas present blessed his four-roomed house, just as they have, or will, bless the threshold in the very room you sit in now. Then up rose Mrs. Cratchit, oh, Belinda Cratchit, second of her daughters, and Master Peter Cratchit. Two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in. We smell the goose, Mama, outside the baker's, Mama. And basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onion, these young Cratchits danced about the table. What has ever got your precious father, then? And your brother, Tiny Tim, and Martha weren't as late last Christmas die by half an hour. Oh, here's Martha, Mother! Hurrah! There's such a goose, Martha! Why, bless your heart alive, my dear, how late you are! (laughs) (laughs) We'd a deal of work to finish up last night and had to clear away this morning, Mother. Well, never mind as long as you are come. Sit you down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm. Lord bless you. Oh, no, no, there's father coming. Hide, Martha, hide! (laughs) So Martha hid herself. And in came little Bob, the father, with his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. Why, where's our Martha? Not coming. Not coming? Not coming on Christmas Day? Martha didn't like to see him disappointed, even if it were only in joke, so she came out prematurely from behind the closet door and (laughs) ran into his arms. (laughs) While the two young Cratchits hassled Tiny Tim and bore him off into the wash house. That he might hear the pudding singing in the copper. And how did little Tim behave? As good as gold and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful, sitting by himself so much, and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me, coming home, that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was crippled, and it might be pleasant to them to remember, upon Christmas Day, who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Tiny Tim is growing strong. Bob compounded some hot mixture in a jug with gin and lemons and stirred it round and round and put it on the hob to simmer. Master Peter and the two ubiquitous young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a goose the rarest of all birds. Mrs. Cratchit made the gravy hissing hot. Master Peter mashed potatoes with incredible vigor. Martha sweetened up the applesauce. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table. The two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody. Good, good. Not for any themselves. At last the dishes were set on and grace was said. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Hmm. Succeeded by a breathless pause. As Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it in the beast. And when she did, and when the long-expected gush of stuffing issued forth, one murmur of delight arose all round the 
bored. (laughs) (laughs) And even Tiny Tim, excited by the two young Cratchits, beat on the table with the handle of his knife and feebly cried, There never was such a goose cooked. Everyone had enough, and the youngest Cratchits in particular were steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows. (sighs) But now, Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone. To take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it while we were merry with the goose. A supposition in which the two young Cratchits became livid. And then, a smell like an eating house and a pastry cook's next door to each other with a laundress's next door to that. A great deal of steam. The pudding was out of the copper. Like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in a half a quart of ignited brandy. And bedight with Christmas holly stuck into the top. A wonderful pudding. The greatest success achieved by you since our marriage. Now the weight is off my mind. I confess I had my doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it. But nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. To do so would be heresy. At last the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, and the fire made up. The compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect. Apples and oranges were put upon the table and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth and Bob proposed, A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us, everyone. Tiny Tim sat close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered hands in his, as if he loved the child, and wished to keep him by his side, and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Mr. Scrooge, I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, Christmas Day. I'll drink to his health for your sake and the days, not for his. Long life to him. It was the first of their proceedings which had no heartiness. The chestnuts in the jug went round, and by and by they had a song about a lost child traveling in the snow. From Tiny Tim, who had a plaintive little voice. At night we went to the ancient inn, where the child in the frost is furled. We follow the feet where all souls meet at the inn at the end of the world. The gods lie dead where the leaves lie red, for the flame of the sun is flown. The gods lie cold where the leaves lie gold, and a child comes forth alone. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future... The child will die. No, no, oh no, kind spirit. Say, say he will be spared. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his words quoted by the spirit and was overcome with penitence and grief. The spirit tipped his torch on the threshold. As they passed from the house, and by this time it was getting dark and snowing heavily. As Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, it was a great surprise to Scrooge to hear a hearty laugh. (laughs) It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's. (laughs) When Scrooge's nephew laughed in this way, Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he. (laughs) 
and their assembled friends, being not a bit behindhand, roared out. (laughs) 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 He said that Christmas was a humbug, as I live. He believed it, too. More shame for him, Fred. She was very pretty. Exceedingly pretty. With a dimpled, surprised-looking capital face. A ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed. All kinds of good little dots about her chin that melted into one another when she laughed. And the sunniest pair of eyes you ever saw in any little creature's head. Altogether, she was what you would have called provoking, you know, but satisfactory, too. I have no patience with him. Oh, I have. I am sorry for him. He won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? You don't lose much of a dinner. Indeed, I think he loses a very good dinner. Oh. (laughs) I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not. If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. After a while, Scrooge's nephew, his niece, and all their friends played at forfeits. And so did Scrooge, for wholly forgetting in the interest he had in what was going on, that his voice made no sound in their ears. <laughs> he sometimes came out with his guess quite loud. And very often guessed quite right, too. Here is a game called Yes and No. I'll think of something and you must find out what, but I can only answer your questions yes or no. Is it an animal? Yes. A live animal? Yes. A disagreeable animal? Yes. A savage animal? Yes. Is it an animal that growls and grunts sometimes? (laughs) Yes. Is it led by anyone? Oh, no. Is it killed in a market? No. Is it a horse? Is it a cow? No. A donkey? An ass? (laughs) Not quite. A tiger? A dog? A cat? A bear? A monkey? A no, no, and no. Does it talk sometimes? Yes. Does it live in London and walk about the streets? Yes. (laughs) I have found it out. I know what it is, Fred. I know what it is. What is it? It's your Uncle Scrooge. (laughs) (laughs) Which it certainly was. He has given us plenty of merriment, I am sure, and it would be ungrateful not to drink his health. Here is a glass of mulled wine ready to our hand at the moment, and I say, Uncle Scrooge. Well, Uncle Scrooge. To Uncle Scrooge. The whole scene passed off in the breath of the last word, and Scrooge and the spirit were again upon their travels. The spirit stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful. On foreign lands, and they were close at home, by struggling men, and they were patient in their greater hope. By poverty, and it was rich. It was a long night, if it were only a night, but Scrooge had his doubts of this. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew clearly older. A spirit's lives so short? My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight. Tonight? Hark, the time is drawing near. The bell struck one. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost, but saw it not. As the stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley. And lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded. Coming like a mist along the ground towards him. It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible, save one outstretched hand. Its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with its hand. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us, is that so? Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him. And he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. It thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that behind the dusty shroud there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him. Ghosts? 
I fear you more than any spectre I have seen. But I am prepared to bear you company, and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. A hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. He knew these men. They were men of business, very wealthy and of great importance. He had made a point, always standing well in their esteem. How are you? How are you? Well, old Scratch has got his own at last, hey? So I am told. Cold, isn't it? Seasonable for Christmas time. You're not a skater, I suppose. No, no, something else to think of. Well, good morning. Not another word. That was their meeting, their conversation, and their parting. He looked about in that very place for his own image, but another man stood in his accustomed corner. It gave him little surprise, however, for he had been revolving in his mind a change of life, and thought and, and hoped he saw his newborn resolutions carried out in this. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of the town where Scrooge had never penetrated. The shops and houses wretched. The whole quarter reeked with crime, with filth and misery. Far in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed beetling shop where iron, old rags, bottles, bones, and greasy offal were bought. Sitting in among the wares he dealt in by a charcoal stove made of old bricks was a grey-haired rascal, nearly seventy years of age. He smoked his pipe in all the luxury of calm retirement. Scrooge and the Phantom came into the presence of this man. Just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop, but she had scarcely entered. When another woman, similarly laden, came in too, Look here, old Joe, here's a chance. If we haven't all three met here without meaning it. You couldn't have met in a better place. Come into the parlor. Uh, what odds then? What odds, Mrs. Dilber? Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed. No man more so. Who's the worst for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. Open that bundle, old Joe, and let me know the value of it. See a too? A pencil case, a pair of sleeve buttons, and a brooch of no great value were all. And now undo my bundle, Joe. Now, what's all this? Bad curtains? You don't mean to say you took them down, rings and all, with him lying there? And why not? You were born to make your fortune, and you'll certainly do it. I certainly shan't stop my hand when I can get anything in it by reaching out. His blankets? He isn't likely to take cold without him, I dare say. I hope you didn't die of anything catching. Spirit, I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way. Uh, oh, merciful heaven, what is this? He recoiled in terror, for the scene had changed. And now he almost touched a bed, on which, beneath just a ragged sheet, there lay a something covered up. The cover was so carelessly adjusted that the sliding, slightest raising of it would have disclosed the face. A face like that one in your window? In the mirror of your bathroom when the lights are off. <gasps> there was a cat tearing at the door. What it wanted in the room of death, Scrooge did not dare to think. He thought of how easy it would be to displace the shroud and longed to do it, but had no more power to withdraw the veil than to dismiss the spectre at his side. The ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I have not the power, spirit. I have not the power. Again, it seemed to look upon him. If there is any person in the town who feels emotion caused by this man's death... Show that person to me, spirit, I beseech you. The phantom spread its dark robe before him like a wing. And there was a mother who hurried to the door and met her husband. There is hope yet. If he relents, there is. He is past relenting. He is dead. What I thought was a mere excuse to avoid me turns out to have been quite true. He was not only very ill, but dying. 
To whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know. But before that time, we shall be ready with the money. Oh, we may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. Soften it as they would, their hearts were lighter. It was a happier house for this man's death. He sees some tenderness connected with the death. Oh, that dark chamber spirit which we left just now will be forever present to me. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house and found the mother and the children seated around the fire. Quiet. Very quiet. The mother was engaged in sewing. The noisy little Cratchits were as still as statues, and sat looking up at Martha, who had a book before her. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. Why does she not go on with the reading? The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The color hurts my eyes, makes them weak by candlelight. And I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. I think he's walked a little slower than he used to these last few evenings, Mother. I've, I've known him to walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder very fast indeed. And so have I. But it was very light to carry, and your father loved him so that it was no trouble. Uh, there is your father at the door. His tea was ready on the hob. The two young Cratchits got upon his knees and laid each child a little cheek against his face as if they said, Don't mind it, father. Don't be grieved. Bob was cheerful with them. He spoke pleasantly to the family. You went today then, Robert? Yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone. Would have done you good to see how green a place it is. He broke down all at once. He couldn't help it. My little child. My little, little child. They drew about the fire and talked, the girls and mother working still. Bob told them of the extraordinary kindness of Mr. Scrooge's nephew, who, meeting him in the street that day, and seeing that he looked a little... Just a little down, you know? On which for he is the pleasantest spoken gentleman you ever heard. I told him. I am heartily sorry for it, Bob. I'm heartily sorry for your good wife. Uh, by the by, how we ever knew that, I don't know. Knew what, my dear? Why, that I am a good wife. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Very well observed, Martha. I hope they do. Heartily sorry for your good wife. If I can be of service to you in any way... He said, and gave me his card. That's where I live. Pray, come to me. I'm sure he's a good soul. However and whenever we part from another, I am sure we shall none of us forget poor Tiny Tim, this first parting that there was among us. And I know, I know, my dears, that when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, although he was a little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor Tiny Tim in doing it. Never, Father. Spectre, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me what man that was whom we saw lying dead. The inexorable finger pointed out to a field. He joined it and accompanied it until they reached an iron gate and a churchyard. Here, then, the wretched man whose name he had not learned lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place, it walled in by houses. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. Scrooge advanced towards it, trembling. Before I draw nearer to the stone to which you point, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be? Or are they the shadows of the things that may be only? Still the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. No men's courses will foreshadow certain ends, but if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say thus with what you show me! The spirit was as immovable as ever. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went, and following the finger read upon the stone of the neglected grave. Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I that man who lay upon the bed? Spirit, you 
I was. I will not be the man I must have been. Why show me this if I am past all hope? The hand appeared to shake with some unknown intelligence. Good spirit, assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. The kind hand trembled. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing from the stone. In his agony, he caught the rascal hand. It sought to free itself. But he was strong in his entreaty and detained it. The spirit, stronger yet, repulsed him. Holding up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. (gasps) And the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room? His own. They are not torn down. They are not torn down rings and all. They are here. I am here. Oh, I don't know what to do. I am as light as a feather. I am as happily happy as an angel. I I am as merry as a schoolboy. A merry Christmas. To everybody in all the world. Really? For a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh. I don't know what day of the month it is. Oh, oh, I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. I'm quite a baby. (laughs) Oh, never mind. I don't care. I'd rather be a baby. Woof! Hello! Hello there! Oh, clash, clang, hammer, ding, dong, bell, bell, dong, ding, hammer, clash, clang, oh, glorious, glorious. Oh, excuse me there. Eh? Uh, What's today? Who? Me. Uh, What's today, my fine fellow? Today, like Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. Oh, they can do anything they like. Of course they can. Hello, my fine fellow. Hello. Now, do you know the butcher? Uh, Not on the next street, but the one after that, at the corner? I should hope I did. An intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Do you know the whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Uh, Not the little prize turkey. The big one. What? The one as big as me? What a delightful boy! It's a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, Yes, my buck? It's hanging there now. Is it? Go and buy it. Oh, walk on! No, 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 I am in earnest. Go and buy it, and tell them to bring it here, that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man, and I'll give you a dollar. Uh, Come back with him in less than five minutes, and I'll give you fifty! I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's. He shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Oh, hello. Whoop. Oh, here's a turkey. Oh, that was quick. How are you? Merry Christmas. It is a turkey. Oh, I never could have stood upon his legs, this bird. He would have snapped them off short in a minute. Ha 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 ha. Like sticks of sealing wax. It's impossible to carry that to Camden Town. Ew. Must have a cab. (laughs) The chuckle with which he said this, and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey, and the chuckle with which he paid for the cab, and the chuckle with which he recompensed the boy, were only to be exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless in his chair again and chuckled until he cried. He dressed himself. All in my best. And at last got out into the streets. The people were pouring forth as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present. Walking with his hands behind him, Scrooge regarded every one with a delighted smile. Uh, Good morning, sir. Good morning. 
A Merry Christmas to you. Oh, and to you as well. Why, Mr. Scrooge, happy Christmas. Of all the blithe sounds I've ever heard, these are the blithest in my ears. The next morning, he was early at the office. Oh, if he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late. That's the thing I've set my heart upon. Bob was a full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. His hat was off before he opened the door. He was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with a pen. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? Mr. Scrooge unbuttoned his coat. You are behind your time. Bob apologized and admitted his mistake, accounting to the merriness of the night before. Step this way, Cratchit. It's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I am not going to stand this sort of thing any longer, and therefore, I am about to... Bob trembled. Therefore, I am about to... About to... Raise your salary. A Merry Christmas, Bob. A Merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family, and we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking Bishop Bob. Make up the fires! And buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. He became as good a friend and as good a man as the good old city knew. Or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him. (laughs) But let them laugh. For he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe, for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter. He thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes and grins. His own heart laughed. And that was quite enough for him. From then on, it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. If any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of all of us. Even you, right now, hopefully near something warming. And so. As Tiny Tim observed. God bless us, everyone. For listening to Theater of the Dark's A Christmas Carol in the Dark, adapted from the novella by Charles Dickens. Tonight's show was performed for you live this evening by Sarah Alphen as Christmas Past and Bell, Mac Gordon as Bob Cratchit and Fred, and Kathleen Pulls Andrade as Christmas Present and Mrs. Fezziwig. And of course, they all played much more than that. I'm Corey Bradbury, and I've been your stage manager, sound engineer, and your Ebenezer Scrooge for the evening. A Christmas Carol in the Dark was adapted and directed by Mac Gordon, who also provided the sound design, and Jake Sorgan is our composer. Our show was produced by Mac Gordon and Corey Bradbury Productions, LLC, with special thanks to John Olson Communications. If you'd like to support Theater in the Dark, the best way you can help is by telling your friends and loved ones. Uh, You can give us a shout-out on social media, too. And did you know, you can also purchase gift tickets to the show through our website. Thank you again for joining Theater in the Dark's Christmas Carol in the Dark. Please have a healthy, safe, and blessed holiday season. Good night. Mm -hmm.